Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. How you been doing? Praying, welcome Holy Spirit this week. You've been leaning into that? We talked about that last week. I've been every day. Usually, usually when I wake up in the morning, but you know, full confession, sometimes it's like 10 o'clock and I'm like, oh, I forgot to pray that prayer. You know, welcome, Holy Spirit. And I've been having a lot of fun this week. I'm, I feel like I'm kind of hearing the Lord in a, in a different way. I'm, I'm in, in my devotional reading, you know, the Lord's speaking to me. He's speaking to me through other people. Uh, how, how many of you men who are married know that sometimes the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds a whole lot like your wife? Yep. Can we say amen and thank you, Jesus? I'm sitting on the couch one day, and Wendy just leans over and says something. I'm like, oh, that was Jesus right there. That was not. I'm going to kneel on the couch and say, yes, Lord. But what's been really fun is I've also had the chance just to kind of encourage other people uh, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. So as we, as we just kind of continue to press into making the Holy Spirit welcome, remember, it's not that he hasn't been here. It's simply that we're kind of alerting ourselves to his, his presence and his role in our lives. We're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit this morning, but I want to start just together by praying that prayer, inviting the Holy Spirit to direct the next 25, 30 minutes as we learn about him. So can we pray together? We're going to do it whether you said yes or no. So, But thank you for saying yes. Oh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We're so grateful for your presence as we worship for your instruction as Pastor Caden alerts us to that way that you are are working in the room this morning and in our hearts. And would you open our ears to hear what you would communicate to us this morning? Would you lead us as you love us in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. So, so last week we were talking about who the Holy Spirit is. We talked about the Holy Spirit as a person, a counselor, someone who walks alongside of us, uh, just as Jesus walked alongside the disciples, someone who does for Christians, for believers, uh, the exact same thing that Jesus did for his followers. Now, he doesn't just hang out. He does some pretty awesome stuff too. But we needed to start with who he is. R.A. Torrey says, it's impossible to understand the work of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does, or to relate to him in any way without first coming to know him as a person. So what we laid the groundwork for last week is the Holy Spirit is a person. But I want to talk to you for just a couple minutes this morning about what kind of person he is. And then I want to talk to you about what that person does, what his, what his work is, what his role is in us and in the world around us. Now, if you're trying to figure out what kind of person someone is, you, you look at the fruit of their life, right? How do people talk about them? How do people feel when they're around them? And Jesus actually said that one of the ways that we can identify the kind of person that we are encountering is by the fruit of their life. So what comes out of them, what they produce in those around them is usually a clear indication of what kind of person that is. How does that relate to the Holy Spirit? Well, God, being awesome, lays it out for us very, very clearly in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit... What comes out of the Spirit, what is produced by the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance. We can say patience because I don't talk that way. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the the characteristics. These are the attributes of the Holy Spirit. 
These are the things that he invites us to demonstrate as we walk with him. So when we want to know what kind of person the Holy Spirit is, like if I'm going to hang out with this guy, I want to know how he's going to treat me. I want to know what he's going to be like. We can say, based on that list, Holy Spirit is loving. He is patient. He is peaceful. He is kind. He's good. He's faithful. He's gentle. And he's self-controlled. This is who he is. He's loving. He's peaceful. He's good. He's patient. And we have to remember what kind of person the Holy Spirit is, because as we jump back into John today, we're going to start using words like sin, righteousness, judgment. Important words, they're in the Bible. We're going to unpack them in relation to the Holy Spirit. But those can be kind of scary words unless you remember that the person we are talking about is peaceful, that he's gentle, that he's kind, and that he's, he's self-controlled. In the early 1700s, there was a, a man named Jonathan Edwards. He was a pastor and a revivalist here in America, and he wrote a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Anybody ever heard of that? Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he would travel around preaching this message, and he would quite literally scare the hell out of people. He would preach to them about the fires of hell and what would happen to them if they did not turn to God. And there was this movement of people who actually did turn to God, but not in response to his love and goodness, but rather out of fear that what, of what could happen to them if they didn't repent. And while, while the reality of people having to spend eternity outside of the presence of God is important and we should, we should keep it in mind as we share the love of God, it's not our faith's primary selling point. God is going to fry you if you don't do what he says. This is not Jesus of the Gospels. Fear. Fear leads to legalism. But love, and the Holy Spirit is loving. Love leads to liberty. And so when you and I represent our faith, God invites us to do it as peaceful people, as gentle people, as loving people, as self-controlled people, as forgiving people. These are the people who are accurately representing the message of the cross and the love of God. Now, you and I have been around people, and sometimes we have been the people who try to communicate the truth of God without filtering it through the character of God. Sometimes these are people who really like to live in the, in the Old Testament in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, right? Super angry God about to destroy. But that is out of step with the character of the Holy Spirit and the message of the gospel. And when we present Jesus that way, you've probably heard this too. I mean, I've, I've talked to people who've said, you know, I've read your Bible and I'm down with Jesus. Jesus is awesome. But man, his people, they're messed up. I, and, and what they're saying without having the words to articulate it is, I am having trouble reconciling the Jesus I read about in the Gospels with the people who are telling me about him. We'll talk in the weeks ahead about how to live aligned with the Holy Spirit in a way that, that we live out his character and not just his message. But for this morning, remember, Holy Spirit is loving. Say loving. 
Holy Spirit is peaceful. Say peaceful. He's patient. He's kind. He's good. He's faithful. He's gentle. And he's self-controlled. Amen. So that's who he is, how he leads people. And now let's keep that picture of a loving, gentle, faithful, patient, forgiving God in mind as we talk about what he does. Now, the Holy Spirit has a number of different roles or assignments. We, we talked last week, I'm not going to revisit it, about how he is fully God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in person, one in nature, each having a primary role in relation to man and God's creation. As Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he begins to talk to the disciples about one, say one, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ministers really to two distinct groups of people. The Holy Spirit ministers to people who are not yet Christians one way, and the Holy Spirit listens to people who are Christians who have surrendered their lives to Christ another way. We're going to talk about that in the weeks ahead. Today, we're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit relates to the world at large. Hold on to his character. Talk about his assignment. Okay, long passage of Scripture, so bear with me. Uh, John 16, verses 1 to 11. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, All this I have told you so that you won't fall away. They, and he's, he's speaking about Jewish leaders, he said, They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are making an offering to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father and they have not known me. I've told you these things, so when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief, with sadness, because I've said these things. But truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, we talked about him last week, will not come to you. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because people don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Imagine sitting, listening to Jesus say this, and one of the very first things he says in this passage is there is a time that is coming where you will be removed from community, religious and social community. The the synagogue was the center of that. Jesus says, you're going to get kicked out. And anyone who kills you, like, this is not figurative. You know, sometimes Jesus talks in parables, not a parable, super literal. Those who kill you will think they are offering a service to God. Now, think with me of, of Saul, who would become Paul in Acts chapter 8. It says in 8.1, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Stephen had just been stoned to death. Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So Jesus is telling the disciples, so when that happens, they're not going to be surprised. As Pastor Caden said, they're not going to put another name above the name of Jesus. Like, hey, it was going awesome for a while, but now we lost. Jesus is just laying the groundwork and saying, this is coming. And why would people be persecuting the church? Why would they be thinking they were offering a sacrifice to God if they killed them? Well, it's because Paul and the Jewish community that crucified Christ believed in the core of their being that he was wrong. 
that he was not the son of God, that he was in fact a rebel, a liar, a blasphemer, and he was turning the nation of Israel away from the one true God. So in their passion and their commitment to what they understood to be righteousness, they thought destroying anyone who spoke of Christ as the Messiah was an act for God. Now, history has taught us, and we see here even in the New Testament, that that anger and violence are not great ways of representing Jesus, representing God or bringing the kingdom forward. Why? John, I'm passionate, and so when I, when I talk about Jesus and someone is resistant, I just get angry, and I, I, they just need to hear my passion, and, and maybe that. the gospel is a story of love and redemption that's being communicated and facilitated by the Holy Spirit, who is loving, kind, gentle, peaceful, self-controlled forbearing, forgiving, doesn't work. And let me tell you this as well. Let me just give you some peace and some freedom. Convincing people about the truth of Jesus, that's not our job. Did you know that? That's not our job. Me convincing someone that Jesus is the Son of God is not my job. How do I know that? Because in the passage we just read, Jesus said to the disciples, when I go and the Holy Spirit comes, he will, this is a translation I grew up with, convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. It's his job. Let's look at this again, beginning in verse 7. So Jesus has painted a picture. Hey, listen, there's, there's going to be some massive disruption. People are going to be coming at you hard. And then he says, but truly I say to you, It's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, we just read this. The advocate will not come to you. The counselor, the comforter, the paraclete will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people don't believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Unless I go away. Where are you going? Well. I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be crucified on a cross, I'm going to be laid in a tomb. Three days later, I'll be raised to life again. You will see me, and then I will ascend to the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? It means I am going to ascend as if ascending to a throne. Think of of King Charles this week. I am going to be raised to a position of power and a position of authority. You will see me again, but I will leave you. And from that position of power and authority, I am going to send to you my Holy Spirit. And when he comes to you, say you. That's going to be important in a minute. Because he talks about two different groups of people. He says, when he comes to you, he'll do something in the world. He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. John, you've said that like nine times because it's super important. And I'm going to explain it to you now. Uh, The ESV translation doesn't say prove the world wrong. It says will convict the world. And it has been understood at times because we have this English understanding of convict or conviction that that God was somehow through the Holy Spirit going to pass a sentence, convict um, the world because they didn't believe Jesus. But this word convict in the Greek has more to do with shining a light on something. The Holy Spirit is going to come to you. And when he comes to you, he is going to shine a light on those who don't know me.
so they could understand sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit loves the world enough that he doesn't want to leave the world as it is. He's not willing to allow us, when we don't know Jesus, to remain really in the blindness and uncertainty of our own confusion. But he comes to us in such a way that he will point us to Jesus. The role of the Holy Spirit in regard to the unbeliever is to testify or to to bear witness to not only that Jesus is real, but who he is. One more observation, and then we're going to unpack these three things. Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes to you, say you. Now say me. That's who he means when he says you. When the Holy Spirit goes to you, he's going to convict the world. The Holy Spirit does this work. He does these things when he comes to his people because he does these things through his people. God invites us to a unique and powerful partnership with his Holy Spirit where we work in conjunction under his direction, his sovereignty, and his power to together bring people to a place of understanding. But it's not our job to convince them. We'll talk more about how that happens next week. What I want you to get from this right now is that this loving, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled Holy Spirit shines his light on the issues of sin, righteousness, and judgment through his loving, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled people. See the partnership? What sin is the Holy Spirit shining a light on? Guys, this is so important. When the Holy Spirit comes to shine the light on, on the world in regard to sin, it's one. It doesn't say sins. And he's talking about the big one. The sin of not believing that Jesus is the Son of God. That's why Saul was persecuting the church. He did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, the one who had come to deliver us from our sin and invite us to live in freedom. John 16, 9, he says he's convicting the world about sin because people don't believe in me. What does it look, look like convicting the world of sin? The Holy Spirit proclaims Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. One of the, one of the translations of the word uh, parakletos, advocate, has to do with someone who, who fulfills a role or a function in a court of law. They're not the judge. They don't condemn. They don't pass sentence. But they work to convince the court of the truth of that which they are representing. The evidence will show, the Holy Spirit says, that Jesus Christ is both Lord and King. That's what he is doing in the life of someone who has not yet surrendered their lives to Christ. And when we come to the realization that Jesus Christ is, in fact, Lord and King, think that same Saul on the road to Damascus where Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When we realize he's Lord and King, and then we realize that we aren't living under his authority, it highlights our sin in a way that moves us to repentance. Again, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. What's one of the fruit of the Spirit, one of his characteristics? Kindness. Most people don't realize what sin is before they meet Jesus. And they definitely don't realize that not believing he is the Son of God is a sin. 
Matter of fact, most people think who don't believe in Jesus because they have not yet had that encounter with the Holy Spirit, they believe that not believing in Jesus in this, as the Son of God is actually a mark of intellectual superiority. I've had lots of conversations with people like, how could you possibly believe this? this is a, it is beyond the realm of reason. Absolutely beyond the realm of reason. And thank you, Jesus, my God, is unreasonable. He isn't constrained. But this is the role of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. That's Hebrew for we're a hot mess. We cannot rightly discern the difference between what is good and evil, what is right or wrong. And if you know Jesus, you can take that right back to the Garden of Eden. If you don't know Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. And so the Holy Spirit comes to make sense of that for you. He wasn't coming, Holy Spirit was not coming to convict the world of their sins, but of one particular sin, the sin that would keep them in bondage, the sin that would keep them from freedom, the sin that would keep them from experiencing the love and forgiveness of a kind and a gracious God. He simply wants to, as a representative of of the court, show them that Jesus Christ is in fact Lord. We'll talk later about how the Holy Spirit convicts Christians of sins to help us become more like Christ. But you know he's not doing that with people who are pre-Christian, and so neither should we. It's not our job to point out their shortcomings, their failings, the ways that they are not being Christ-like. How could they possibly be Christ-like if they've never met Christ? If you're here this morning and, and you're not a Christ follower, and Christians have beat you up about your behavior, made you feel somehow less than, can I just say to you this morning, I'm sorry? It's not our job, and we shouldn't have done that. Jesus loves you profoundly and wants you to know him. Holy Spirit comes to convict the world of the sin of not believing Jesus is the Son of God. Because they don't believe in me, he says. Acts chapter 2. Verses 36 and 37. This is how this works in practice. So it's past the day of Pentecost. Peter's preaching like everybody came boiling out of the upper room and crowds are gathered around going, what the heck is going on? And, and Peter stands up and he, he's in the middle of this explanation about who Jesus is. And then he says in verse 36, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not Paul preaching a really good message. There is this opportunity where Peter is proclaiming, I would say, in love, the truth of who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of who Jesus is. And people suddenly realize, oh my gosh, that guy that we crucified really was the Son of God. And so now... They are convicted of not believing in Jesus. Tracking with me? That's how that works. And their response, holy cow, what should we do? The Holy Spirit convicts, but he's come to those he wants to work through. So the Holy Spirit convicts. They look at Peter, which is someone he's come to, and go, what do we do about this? Peter says, repent and be baptized. 
One of the ways that you translate the word repent is change the way you think about God. Believe in him. Identify with him. That's what baptism is. And you will be saved. That word saved, any of you guys read a lot of N.T. Wright, that word means rescued. It doesn't just mean pardoned. You'll be rescued from your pain, from your suffering, from your, your separation from God. When, when Moses says, today we've seen the salvation of our God, he's saying, today we have seen God rescue us. If you believe Jesus is, in the, he is the Son of God, you will be rescued. Isn't that cool? Peter could have said the same thing the day before, and people could have looked at Peter and said, you're a moron. I mean, have, have you ever shared like your testimony with somebody who, with somebody and they're like, yeah, whatever. Why? It's not because you're lousy at testifying. It's because the Holy Spirit was not in that moment doing a work of conviction in their heart or they were resistant to it. Okay, we got to keep going. Second thing. So that's convicting the sin of not believing in who? Is the Holy Spirit convicting them of their multiple sins of moral behavior? No. No, because his primary aim is to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he cleans us up. All right, verse 8. When he comes, he'll prove the world in wrong to be in the wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, people don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. What does it mean he's going to convict the world about righteousness? The Holy Spirit will prove the world wrong about what it means to be right or in particular, to be right with God. It's not about aligning with a a particular code of behavior or a moral standard. It's not about how good you are or even how you live your life. This is what the Holy Spirit is wanting to communicate to the world. We have all tried to be good enough, and we have all failed miserably. Maybe just me. Maybe just, I I won't speak that over you. I've tried to be good enough, and I've come to the place where I just realized I cannot be good enough. And the disciples were going to be speaking first to a people who had had given their lives to following the, the Mosaic law, following Torah, a very strict record of religious rules and regulations. And then you throw on that, you got the Pharisees, and they're like 623 extra rules that they made. If you want to be right with God, you need to do all of these things. The Holy Spirit came to teach the world, that's not true. That's not how you're made right with God. It's not by what you do. Romans 3.21, this is Paul. Remember, Saul tried to kill people, meets Jesus, becomes Paul, is now writing to the Romans, and he says, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. There's a way to be made right with God that has nothing to do with your standard of behavior as you come to him. This was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. And then he drops the hammer. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's righteous. We're made right with God. Not by how well we we do or how good we look, but because we choose in our own brokenness and sinfulness to put our faith in Christ to save us. And he says this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who They are. We're made right with God by placing our trust in Christ. What was the sin? They didn't believe in me. What's the answer to that sin? 
and to be made right with God, to believe in Christ. And he says to his disciples, it's for your benefit that I'm leaving. It's the fact that Jesus simply didn't die, but then rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father that testifies to the truth of his message. Jesus preached a good message, but if he died and stayed in the grave, he was a liar. The Holy Spirit testifies to the truth of Christ's message because it bears witness to his resurrection, his ascension, and his primary place right now of authority at the right hand of God the Father. That's why Jesus says, I have to go. The proof is in my leaving, and the Holy Spirit will come and explain it to you. You still tracking with me? All right, here we go. There is only one way to be right, and that is by placing your trust in Christ to make you right. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to people. He wants to let them see that they've really missed the mark, that's what sin means, in not believing Jesus is God. He wants to convict or convince them to shine the light on the fact that all you have to do to be saved or right with God is to place your trust in Christ, which leads directly to the third. When he comes, he'll prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. We said sin because we don't believe in him, about righteousness because we have to put our faith in him, and then about judgment because the prince of this world stands condemned. He's coming to convince the world regarding judgment. Whose judgment? Not theirs. He is not coming to convince the world that they are going to be judged on the last days. He is coming to testify or bear witness to the world that the enemy of their souls, the one who would keep them in bondage, the one who seeks their destruction, already stands judged. He's talking about Satan. I am going to testify, not only the Holy Spirit would say that people need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, secondly, that they have to place their trust in Christ, but third, the one who would exert influence and control over them has already been defeated, that there is a, 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 the word judge there also would mean condemned. He's not trying to tell sinners that they're going to be judged. He's trying to tell the world that the one who would judge you already has been judged. Galatians 2.13. Some of us need to hear this this morning. We just need the thank you, Jesus, reminder. When you were dead in your sins, is that a Christian or a non-Christian? Thank you. Non-Christian. You're dead in your sins. God made you alive with Christ. That's what I'm super stoked to talk about next week. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So we're talking about something Jesus did at the cross. And he says this, having disarmed the powers and authorities. These are the powers and the authorities of hell. He is talking Satan and his minions. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When it says he disarmed powers and authorities, that word means to disrobe. He made them naked. And it has to do with a person who had an official office and robes of that office being publicly stripped of their robes. And your robes were a sign of your power and authority. So he is saying Satan has already publicly been disrobed, that his power and authority have been removed from him. 
And then he says, made a public spectacle, triumphing over them by the, by the cross. It's another illustration from ancient history. A triumph is not just a motorcycle. Super cool motorcycle, not just a motorcycle. When the emperor would return to the capital, having been on a military campaign, the entire city would turn out to welcome him. There would be all sorts of hoopla. I mean, it'd be a massive celebration. People lining the streets, cheering. He would come in, his army would come in, and at the end of the procession would be the defeated king and his generals who had to do the long, slow walk of shame through the city, oftentimes to the Colosseum where they would be killed. And God is saying through the Holy Spirit that when Christ went to the cross, he disrobed, he removed Satan's power and authority, and he did it in such a way that all of heaven and hell now know. He made him do the long, slow walk of shame. The Bible teaches us that the consequences of sin is death. But Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross, died in our place, passed judgment on Satan, because the only power Satan had over us was the guilt from our own sin. Jesus paid that price and basically looked at Satan and said, ha ha, sucker, you got nothing. This is, this is the Greek according to John. And so what the Holy Spirit comes to do in regard to people who don't yet know him, in partnership with the people who do, is to bear witness that Jesus is the Son of God. To bear witness that they are made right through faith in Christ. And to bear witness that the enemy of their souls has been defeated. So should they put their trust in Christ, they experience freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, freedom from fear. There is now, therefore, church, no what? Condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know why? Because hell's already been condemned. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Now, you might be getting excited, like, oh, this is awesome. This is like feeding my soul. Remember, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do for people who don't know God yet. Wants to invite them into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. As a peaceful kind, gentle, patient, loving person aligned with a whole bunch of patient, kind, gentle, forgiving, loving people. Isn't this cool? I think this is pretty cool for a number of reasons. One, takes a whole lot of pressure off me. I got to go win the world for Jesus. Yeah, you know what? I don't. I don't. I got to go live my life in such a way that it brings glory to God, that people will want to know. St. Francis of Assisi said, preach Jesus everywhere. If necessary, use words. I will contend for those who don't know Jesus in prayer and in service, and they will be a primary concern of mine but they are an even greater concern to the Holy Spirit. And it is he who draws them. It is he who convicts them, even as it is he who encourages them. Paul said to Timothy, and I'll close with this. He says, listen, Timothy, kid, watch your life and watch your doctrine closely. What does that mean? It means live your life in a way that represents Christ. 
And when somebody comes to ask you why you are the way you are, know enough to be able to explain it to them. So let's recap. Holy Spirit is a person. Is he a person or a power? He's a person. Powerful person, but he's a person. He's a loving, kind, gentle, and patient person. And through his loving, kind, gentle, patient people, he comes to let the world know that they were wrong. Wrong to not believe that Jesus is God's son. Wrong to not understand that we're made right by faith in him. And wrong to not realize that the enemy of their souls already stands condemned. It's good news. If gospel means good news, shouldn't the way we talk about Jesus be more about the good than the bad? Do you know Jesus loves you? Do you know he has a future for you, a plan, a hope? Do you know that he wants to lead you into, do you know that he, you need to stop yelling at your kids. You need to stop drinking. You need to stop cheating on your taxes. That's not going to bring anybody to Jesus, is it? Didn't work for me that way. We just get to tell people about the goodness of God and reflect it and let the Holy Spirit bring conviction. He works in ways that we can't see because he loves people far more than we do. And he points people to Jesus in a way that they can experience new life. I, I invited you last week to pray a very simple prayer. Welcome, Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you this week to continue to pray that prayer. Welcome, Holy Spirit. And I want you to add to it. Holy Spirit, shine your light on. And then whoever you love who is far from God. Welcome, Holy Spirit. Continue to lead me, guide me, direct me, teach me. And Holy Spirit, shine your light on this person. God, it's, it's your job to convict. As in a court of law, convince. Shine the light. If you want to keep praying, you can say, and I stand ready, Lord, when they want to know. But tell them what I know. Let's trust God for the salvation of those whom we love. Let's trust God to continue to work in us and through us as we welcome his Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for just a minute? Guys, I would be so remiss if I didn't just take a second and ask, is there anyone with us this morning to whom the Holy Spirit has already been talking? Just saying to you, I, I am real. And, and so is Jesus. And if you will simply acknowledge that he is God, and you will put your trust in him, you'll be saved. If you're here this morning and you would say for the first time, John, I hear it. I may not even fully understand it, but I'm prepared to respond to it. Would you just raise your hand high enough for me to see? I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you. I just want to pray for you. I want you to hold in your heart the name of a person you love who is far from God. Jesus, you know these names. These names that are on our hearts are on your heart as well. And Lord, even as we reposition ourselves before you, surrendered in faith to your goodness, placing our trust in God, we ask the same for these men and women who you love even more than we do. 
And so we pray, Holy Spirit, would you shine your light on them? Would you reveal to them the truth about Jesus, about what it means to be right, and about the fact that they can walk into freedom because the enemy of their souls has been defeated? We ask these things in the amazing, beautiful, glorious, powerful, life-giving, life-changing, overwhelming name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.